I think the most important thing, though, it comes back to that communication style. Somebody who gets you, you get them. You both um, communicate in equal and complementary ways and that you feel that sense of comfort. Because if you don't feel comfortable going, there's a good chance you won't go back. Hello and welcome to the Medical Protection Podcast Headliner Series. I'm your host, Dr Lynn McKinley. I'm a Senior Medical Educator for the Cognitive Institute and I'm currently working as Deputy Chief Health Officer for Queensland Health in Australia. My background is in paediatrics, rehabilitation medicine and medical administration. This is the first of a four-part series about taking care of yourself, well-being and belonging in modern healthcare today. In this podcast, I was fortunate enough to talk with Dr. Jennifer Schaefer, and I wanted to answer the question, why does every doctor need their own doctor? Jenny has worked as a general practitioner for over 35 years and has taken on many leadership roles in health, including director of the medical program at the School of Medicine at the University of Queensland, various board roles, being the patron of the medical students body, the University of Queensland Medical Society, and she's now the medical director of the Queensland Doctors Health Program. Jenny remains active in clinical practice and in medical research. Jenny, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you, Lynn. Thank you for the invitation. Jenny, why is it so important for every doctor to have their own doctor? That is such a great question and a great way to start. So there's two parts to this question. The first part is what doctors do need to be healthy um, because we know our job is, is a very privileged, wonderful job where we get to help people every day and we couldn't ask for anything more than that. But in order to do that, we know that we need to be in the best health we can be Our jobs rely enormously on our executive function, our ability to think clearly, make good decisions, often doing it under adverse conditions. So we actually need to be functioning at our best, and it's a legal, moral and ethical undertaking to our patients that we will bring our best selves to work. So how do we bring our best selves to work? Well, part of that is our self-care, so all the lifestyle issues, but part of it is, is managing our own health. Like every other person on the planet, we have a whole range of health issues that could crop up at various times in our life. And we know from the evidence that the best way to manage our health is in collaboration with having doctors who can help prevent problems, help us monitor our health and help us solve problems as they arise. So this combination is part of our duty of care to our patients to ensure that we give them the best and safest care that we possibly can. But Jenny, you're saying really it's a professional responsibility as a doctor to look after our own health. Absolutely. And it's not just about doctors. If you look at other industries, um, they all take into account workplace health and safety. So if you're an airline pilot, you are required, you're mandated to have regular checkups. That's just part of what they do. In the mining industry, there's a whole pile of checks and balances to ensure people on the side are providing a safe environment. We too have the same responsibilities and in many ways greater ones because The outcome of what we do affects people's health and well-being. So obviously, as part of our responsibility to our workplace and to our patients and to our colleagues is to be in the healthiest position that we can be. Jenny, why do you think in the past doctors haven't always prioritised their own health? Do you have a a feeling for that? Oh, Lynn, I wish it was in the past, but it's absolutely not. As the medical director at Doctors Health in Queensland, I know for a fact that doctors continue not to prioritise their own health in many patients. Now, some doctors are very, very good, so I don't want this to be a generalisation, but there are many drivers in our workplaces that do make it a little bit harder, even when we have the best of intentions. 
So we work in, in some people would say, um, difficult circumstances. We're often working where uh, we're under-resourced, um, the workforce issues we're all very familiar with. So we do jobs which require very high levels of care, often in circumstances that are imperfect with systems that, that cannot meet everyone's needs all of the time. Doctors come into medicine because they want to help people. So often they're very altruistic. And so that creates an, env an environment and more importantly, a culture where we tend to give out to other people. And so even when you're tired and hungry and just need a break, if someone's sick, you will step up. If a colleague is away, you will step in. If something needs to be done, you will do it. And so this, this is a wonderful attribute. It's a, it's a lovely part of being a doctor. But like all virtues, any virtue I've played can become a vice. So there comes a tipping point where doing that little bit extra, giving a little bit more, when it comes at the cost of self-sacrifice, and when that self-sacrifice gets to the point where it impacts on your own health and well-being, that's when it can actually um, be counterproductive. So we just need to be aware of that. The other thing is doctors, we're very perfectionistic. You know, we want to be perfect all the time. And we are working in, in an industry and in a sector that is not perfect along with us. And so things do go wrong. There are pressures that happen. Patients can have adverse outcomes. Um, sometimes that's no fault of our own, but we still feel it very deeply. Sometimes we can make errors and that and there's enormous sense of shame and guilt when those things happen. So all of these factors can play into not only our physical health and well-being, but also our mental health and well-being. And you think that by having our own doctor, that would help to ameliorate some of those risks or some of those issues for us as doctors? Well, absolutely. If we look at healthcare generally, so I think we all buy in as doctors that, that having doctors is a good thing to have. So if we look at a normal person, what do they do? Well, they don't go to the doctor every time they, you know, stub their toe or get a headache. And so, so the normal pattern for healthcare is that people self-manage. So if they've got a symptom, they might do something about it. If they've got a headache, they might have a glass of water and lie down. If it's more severe, they might take some medication. So they too self-prescribe, as we sometimes do. They might take some paracetamol or aspirin or ibuprofen. If that doesn't work, they may go to somebody else for advice. And so they will ask for their opinion. If that doesn't work, then they might seek some sort of health care. They might go to a pharmacist or a physio or a podiatrist or their GP. And so, so that's the normal spectrum of how people manage their own health and they go through the process to get where they need to be in order to manage whatever the symptoms are. Doctors are similar. We too have that. So we don't rush off to the doctor every time we have a headache. We do what normal people do is that we might have a glass of water and a lie down. We might too take some aspirin, panadol, ibuprofen. Um, the thing that's different about us to normal people is what we can do ourselves, what we are legally allowed to do, which includes prescribing and referrals for investigations and referrals for specialist care. That's not available to the normal person. So the normal person will reach a point in their healthcare where they need to do something else and they need a healthcare provider involved. For us, we can push that back a little bit. And so, and it's not that that's illegal or wrong or morally deficit or anything else. What it means though, it's just a, a bit of a slippery slope. We need to be careful about that because one of the things that doctors do do is they tend to manage themselves for too long. And so then they're embarrassed about seeking another person's help because then they have to confess that they've been doing these things. Um, our perspective on ourselves is not always objective. Obviously, we've got our own baggage, we've got our own emotional load, we've got our own pressures around us. Sometimes it's good to have a separate person to assess our health. 
rather than us doing it on our own. And certainly that independent objective assessment can help lead to better health care. Um, we all know stories of doctors who ignored symptoms, um, overtreated themselves to a point that was unreasonable, um, but also made errors in their own judgment. I mean, you and I would find it very hard to self-examine in some capacity, like I could have a skin cancer on my back. I, even with good lighting and a great mirror, I'm still not going to see that. So it is good to have another person who actually provides you with independent advice. The other component is what we do for our patients is we look at the total picture. We take a history. We examine them. We, we decide appropriate referrals. When we're self-managing, we tend to take shortcuts. We just do the quick and easy bit, like we'll just grab the antibiotics off the, you know, out of the drug cupboard or we might send ourselves off. We're not doing, we're not going through the discipline that we know that best medicine is. When we go to a GP, they will then take a full history, which includes not only your medical history, your family history, your social history. So they will take all of those things into account. They will examine you properly with independent eyes. Um, they can then help you work through um, what's the best plan going forward. Um, because we all know that um, a medical consultation is not just the transfer of information. Doctors do not go to doctors because they don't know enough. Doctors should go to doctors um, because what it is, it gives us an independent perspective about something that is very subjective. And so that is a better pathway forward. I like to think of it similar to executive coaching. Um, if you look in industry these days, you know, executives have executive coaches. They are not people to teach the executive to do their job. They are not there to tell them what to do or solve their problems. They're a person that they talk to where they can bounce ideas around, they can get new perspectives. The coach will ask them hard questions and challenge them and, and you know, ask them, say, well, what else could you do? What else could you think of, et cetera? So our healthcare, our, our doctors can act sort of like executive coaches. I'm not going to a doctor because I don't know what to do about, you know, tonsillitis. But what you can do is, is by bringing in their perspective, they can say, okay, well, what about this? Have we done all the, have we done all the preventative stuff? Doctors are very good at overlooking their preventative stuff. Um, have we done all the things we need to do in that? What do we need to do about this and creating that plan? So there's a discipline around healthcare that adds value. And when we bystep that and take shortcuts, we tend to lose that value. I really like that analogy of, of, a doctor going to see their own GP is a bit like an executive seeking executive coaching. What you're saying is that we are getting that independent view, that sort of validation, that safety, that assurance that we are on the right track and that's um, putting us into, I guess, a position where our professionalism isn't under, under stress as it is if we're trying to do it all ourselves. Absolutely. And I can tell you also from just from personal experience, it's actually can be a really nice experience because some at this stage, you can actually hand some of your, your decision making over to another person. And that actually feels really comforting. And particularly if you're unwell, that's a really nice place. It's nice to let somebody else help you make those hard decisions, help you weigh up the pros and cons of various options. So absolutely. It's um it's it's an independent set of eyes. As doctors, we all know the value of a second opinion um, because if you have two minds thinking about the same problem, you don't come to a better solution. Well, let's let's use that that value in our own healthcare. Let's let's get a second opinion and, and get that perspective. 
Jenny, um, I personally have found it a bit of a challenge to get into the role of patient rather than colleague when I go to visit my doctor. So have you got any ideas about that? Is it is it my responsibility to set those expectations with my doctor or, or what should I do? You, you nailed a very good question because I think when we look at the barriers to doctors seeking health care, there, there are a lot of barriers. And part of this is moving from being doctors where we think that we help other people and it's very hard for us to turn around and allow ourselves to be helped. But also that relationship as a patient. Um, being a patient actually is a very vulnerable position to be in. You're opening yourself up to another person. You're telling them all sorts of intimate details about your life. You're telling them all sorts of detail, intimate details about your health. You might actually have intimate um, examinations. Um, so there's a, there's a whole range of things. Certainly, and, and I relate to this because I, as a doctor, I see myself as the helper, not the, not the helpee. And so it can be very tricky. And part of that is around negotiating this relationship. And it's it's two-sided. Obviously, the treating doctor needs to, to be open to negotiations and the, the person who's the GP as the patient needs to be open to those negotiations. So everyone knows who's doing what, what part of the job is yours, what's theirs, um, you know, who's making the decisions. Because um, for most doctors, again, they're not going to go to a doctor for every single little thing. And so part of it is, is about blended care. So the sort of typical relationship might be that you would attend your GP once a year for the well, wellness check where you sit down and go, right, year ahead, when are all these screening things done? Will I need any scripts? Do I need any referrals? When's the last time I did this? And then there's also the sickness care. And so when we are unwell, um, again, that's a slightly different version of it. But it is it is tricky. It, it, it If it's not handled well from both sides, it won't fit well. And I think all of us understand what that feels like. We've all been in positions where you think, I don't like it, this, this isn't comfortable for me. And that doesn't necessarily reflect poorly on either party. It's about, it's it's like all relationships, about that synchronicity. Are your communication styles in sync? Yes, no. Do you have similar expectations? And, and some of those expectations will be around healthcare. Some will be around the consultation. Some will be around the infrastructure. You know, can you ring and get an urgent appointment, you know, when other people can't? Billing, you know, do you pay your doctor or not? Some of the doctors will accept bulk billing rebate only. Other doctors will actually um, negotiate with the doctors whether they pay a fee. And so all of those are things that you do need to negotiate as part of that doctor-patient relationship. It's, um, yeah, that's really helpful to think about this idea of blended a blended model because I know personally I don't want to be treated as if I have no knowledge because I do have knowledge, but I don't want that doctor to expect me to know everything because I wouldn't be there if I knew everything. So it is a little bit of a tie. It's a, it's a, it is a negotiation, isn't it? That's right. And look, this is not weird in general practice. As an experienced general practice, I have a whole range of patients with a whole range of health literacy. Now, obviously, my patients who are doctors are at the highest end of the health, of the health literacy thing. But there's also other people. Like sometimes, you know, I've been treat. I used to work in a university practice, so I was treating researchers who you knew more about diseases than I would ever know, um, because obviously they were intimately involved in the cutting edge of the research around them. So I think that general practitioners are used to pitching their language and their communication style and their way of handling a consultation based on many factors. And part of that is the health literacy of the other person. It's around decision making styles. It's a, it's um, 
It's about adjusting all those little components of a consultation to, to best meet the needs of that person. Now, having said that, there's days we do it really, really well. There's days when we're tired and hungry and late and, and uh, exhausted where we might not do it so well. But equally at the patient side, I mean, as doctors, we all know that patients too can sabotage consultations. So obviously um, one of the things that doctors sometimes do is they don't actually tell their doctor they're a doctor. Now, my personal view of that is I would rather know if someone's a doctor because then I would adjust my communication based on where they're at while still checking in. I mean, some people have very expertise knowledge in one area, but that doesn't mean they know about other areas at all. So I, I prefer an honesty in a relationship, and I think that 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 provides the best patient experience. But all two patients also need to understand that you know they need to put their input in. If they've got strong views about something, they're to share them. If there's things that they don't want to consider, like I don't want to take medication, then they just need they need to add that into the equation as well. The worst you can do is say, yes, 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 doctor, walk out of the room and then ignore every piece of advice you were given because that was a waste of consultation. If our listeners don't have a doctor yet, have you got any advice for them about how to choose a doctor or what sort of, how do they negotiate that first part of the relationship, I suppose? Yeah, well, I had to do this quite recently. My regular GP, who I loved and adored, retired and that's one of the challenges particularly as we age we tend to choose people who are slightly older than us and then then they're at retirement age the ways you can think about this is you need to think about the sort of care you want so the factors that might go into that decision making so um proximity um when i had to choose a new gp it was in the age of covid so one of the things that i thought about is well in the age of covid i'm probably better off having someone who's closer to home than travelling long distances. Um, you might have a preference for the gender of the other doctor. You might have a preference for the age of the other doctor. One of the challenges is whether you choose somebody you know and respect or choose somebody you don't really know and they don't know you and that's sort of a good thing. And somewhere in between, because as we all know as doctors, we all know everybody to some level or have some level of, of, of connection with them. Um, certainly my personal preference is I would rather have a doctor that I'm not going to be binding socially, just be, not because I don't think they would be discreet, but I just prefer not to have lunch with the same person that I've just had my pap smear with. So, you know, so choosing that. So, and the other part of that too is um, by choosing a slightly different doctor, that will give you a different referral network. One of the risks is doctors, it's not only our GP we may or may not know, but there's a whole bunch of specialists we might get referred to who we may or may not know and that that can have degrees of comfort. So, so part of this is choice. Um, some people make the decision based on family, like if the whole family has a family GP where some other families prefer to have different doctors for different people and they may or may not be in the same practice. I think the most important thing, though, it comes back to that communication style. Somebody who gets you, you get them. You both um, communicate in equal and complementary ways and that you feel that sense of comfort. Because if you don't feel comfortable going, there's a good chance you won't go back. So I, I think seeking that out. And it's important to remember that may not be the first person that you go to. It, it's totally okay to have the audition consultation. And, in fact, I love that as a GP when someone comes in and says, I'm not sick but I'm just checking you out. I go, great. That means I can actually do all my background stuff and get your full history. Um, and so part of and that's why checkups are great because you can develop that relationship when you're well. Because the last thing you want is to be trying to develop a new relationship when you're already sick. 
interesting that you talk about the audition um, consultation, and I guess that was one of the things I was wondering. I mean, what advice for our colleagues if if I go and see a GP, I'm all set up, I get in there, and it's just not working for me. And and as you know, we know it's a small community. I don't want to embarrass the other person. I don't want to be appear to be critical, but maybe I just don't feel it. Have you got any advice? under those um, kind of circumstances? And I think your point there is a good one. We are a small community, so there is there is those pressures at play. Um, certainly as a GP, I'm very familiar with coming people coming in to check me out, so it may seem weird as the doctor-patient, but as the doctor for doctors, that's that's not a weird thing at all. That, that's quite normal. And, and people will often... People will often say up front and, and you can do that or not. It doesn't matter. But I think we all understand um, it, it's not like you have to provide them with feedback unless you feel comfortable to do so. Certainly many people would come in once and then you may, because doctors attend infrequently, you know, in general we tend to be healthy people, so it's not like we're turning up every second day. So if you went along for one consultation, it didn't really work for you, you would then find somebody else somewhere else potentially or the other thing is to find another doctor within the same practice because in, the, in these modern days of, of enlarging group practices, often people have different doctors for different needs. Um, often within one practice there might be the women's health doctor, the mental health doctor, the skin doctor. So there are ways of, of managing that without anyone feeling uncomfortable. Jenny, you talked right at the beginning about how a doctor, having their own doctor, is a really important part of being a professional. What professional risks or medical legal risks do you see attached to a doctor making a choice to look after their own health care? Certainly there are three things to think about. One, one is your actual physical and mental health and well-being, and we know that having a doctor caring for you can improve that. The second thing is if you don't have a doctor, you don't have a medical record. If you are treating yourself, there's no provable record of when the symptoms appeared, you know, what was done, what happened next, how the symptoms progressed, um, what the test results were. There's no cohesive record there. So, so that's got a whole range of implications, both from the health perspective and the legal perspective. The third thing is, if a doctor is unwell or impaired, we know that can be associated with risk to the patient and the community. And so if a complaint is made or an adverse outcome occurs and the doctor is impaired and there is no record that they've seen a doctor, there's no evidence that they're taking care of themselves, there's no evidence that, that this problem is being properly assessed and treated. And that, that's a very serious risk for a doctor and that's the one none of us want to face. And the best way never to face it is to work proactively to prevent that from occurring by making sure that our healthcare is provided in an appropriate, timely way and is well documented. Jenny, that's really uh, useful advice and it's, it's really helpful to think about it in those um, ways because there are multiple different risks for us, isn't it? And, and I guess the same could be said for choosing to care for our family members where we may not keep medical records of those encounters as well. Um, absolutely. The risk of all those um, off the record, the informal care, so that could be family members and that's really, really important. But remember, too, it could be colleagues. Those corridor consultations when your colleague comes to you in the corridor and asks your advice or you go to a colleague and ask their advice outside the consultation with no record, that has huge medical legal 
implications, again, both in terms of healthcare and medical legal risk. I can think of some times when I've heard of circumstances where a, a doctor has asked a colleague for their advice in the corridor, as you say, and, you know, if, if something goes wrong, there's so much risk in that, in that for everybody, isn't there? So corridor consultations are a really important thing to think about because it happens to all of us all the time. Now, the first thing is to realise it's not weird in the sense that if you look how a normal person consults, um, if they're unwell, who do they go to? They might go to their mother, aunt, sister, friend, hairdresser. Who do we go to? Well, we go to the people that we see every day, which are colleagues. So so the desire to, to talk about our health with the colleague is not a strange one. It is what people do. We just happen to have medical friends instead of um, lay friends. But it does come with risks, like all things. And there's a risk to the person asking for the help because they're not their concerns are not being properly addressed. You're not getting the full history. You're not getting the examination. You're not getting the appropriate workup. You're not getting the medical records. But it's a risk to the doctor providing that advice as well because they're not medico-legally protected. So it's a really good idea for all of us to have our little spiel in our heads. So when a colleague asks us for our advice, you may do it, but you, what you should do is, no, sit down, come in, we'll open up a medical record, we're going to do this properly or not at all. Um, the second thing is you can just say, I have a policy, I, I don't talk about other people's health, and you would choose your words in advance so it's ready to roll off your tongue. A third way of gently handling this is to divert it, say, look, this sounds really important and this needs a doctor's attention, so let's get you to see your doctor or let's find a doctor for you so that we can get this properly addressed because I don't want to make a mistake, I don't want us to miss something, this this is important, it's critical, let's do it well. And so if you have those little um, spiels that you can do, if they're ready to go, it just makes it so much easier what many of us do, we don't see the slippery slope ahead of us. We'll say, yeah, sure, what do you think? And then suddenly we find we're halfway down the slope. And once you get to that point, it's really hard to backtrack. So so prepare in advance is my wise advice. That's a really very important piece of advice. As we're finishing up this conversation, Jenny, is there any other advice, any, any closing comments you'd like to make to our listeners about why it's so important that every doctor should have their own doctor? So one of the things that I really want people to think about is we don't want it to be that you have to have a doctor because it's mandated in that, you know, good, bad dichotomy. One of the things I'd like people to think about is what are the benefits of having a doctor and how can we use them more effectively? And the truth is if you invest your efforts in finding the right person, having that person as a go-to is actually a really lovely experience. And I'm sure we've all had those experiences in our lives where, you know, having another person take an active interest in your health, help you to sort out problems, particularly when you're in that stage of is this important, is it not, just having another fresh set of eyes, it really is can be a lovely experience. Doctors tend to focus on their health anxiety, their fear of vulnerability, their fear of having made a mistake, their fear of being found out that they've been doing things. Put that to one side and, and be honest with the person, say, I'm here to ask for help. And if you've got the right person, they say, I am here to help you. And they will listen to all of those things that you're concerned about, but help you to work your way through it. It's the same as with our own patients. You know, when someone comes into us and say, I'm worried about X, Y, Z, you know, how can I help you? I love it at the end of the consultation when the patient says to me, I feel better already. 
remember that as doctors, we too can have that experience. You can go in, put all your stuff on the consulting table, sift through it with the other person, and at the end of it, you know what? Your burden will be lighter. You'll walk out with a little extra spring in your step, and you will feel better because you know you've got a plan, you know you've got an advocate, and you know you've got someone who will be with you through every step of that journey, whether it's a brief one, an easy one, or one of those longer, harder ones. There are lovely aspects of having your own GP and just sharing that burden. We know that it's like all things. You share the care around. It's a lighter load for each person. Jenny, I think that that last comment has been really very helpful for people. And I like the idea of thinking about putting my burden on the table, sifting through it with a with a, a, somebody I trust as a colleague and as a, as a health professional to look after me. It tells me that this idea about having my own doctor is not just about my health, it's actually about my bigger well-being. It's about connecting with a colleague who can share the burden and actually in a very unique way understand the burden that I carry as a doctor. And with that, we reach the end of the podcast, Why Every Doctor Needs Their Own Doctor. I certainly got a lot out of that conversation with Jenny Schaefer, and I hope you did as well. If you're a member of the Medical Protection Society, please join us for our upcoming virtual workshop, Beating Burnout, where you can learn more about today's topic. Registration information can be found in the podcast description. If you're new to podcasts, maybe listening for the first time, Make sure you subscribe to the channel to make listening in the future easier. You can access this podcast from all of the major apps, including Apple and Google Podcasts and Spotify. I've been your host, Lynn McKinley. Thanks for joining me.